over the past several years, um, things have been different in our world. Uh, there have been areas of our industry that have really struggled, and one of those areas uh, that has struggled has been the shipping industry. Now, we have several people uh, here in our church that work for the logistics giant that's headquartered just down the street, and they will tell you uh, that it's been a crazy couple of years. Um, it would only take a, a short conversation with them to realize how difficult these years have been in the shipping business. You know, according to J.P. Morgan, the supply chain problems that we've been experiencing uh, arose from what they called a perfect storm. A perfect storm of causes, including shifts in demand, labor shortages, and structural factors. And then the Russia-Ukraine conflict, as well as COVID-19 lockdowns in China, have exacerbated these issues of late, which have affected supply chain and in all kinds of things, consumer goods, metals, food, chemicals, and commodities. You know, I assume that we have all felt the effects of these supply chain issues in one way or another. Uh, maybe it was just a couple of years ago you couldn't get enough toilet paper, you know, whatever. But we've all felt those supply chain issues in one way or another. Never before in the lives of, of those that we would refer to as Gen Zers or even Millennials, never before has there ever been a time when the shelves of the grocery stores were completely bare. You know, that's kind of weird to walk into a grocery store and look down an aisle and there's nothing on either side. Um, we've passed a lot of that, I know, but it has been a difficult couple of years. Used car prices are at an all-time high because of pandemic-related disruptions in the supply chain for various components and parts needed for making new cars. And so if you can't make enough new cars, then the price of old cars go up. In fact, according to Consumer Reports, the price of used cars are now over 50% more than what they were just a couple of years ago. Now to bring this uh, a little closer to home, uh, this actually affected the workday that we had just yesterday. Uh, because I contacted uh, a rental place a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I need, to, I need to rent a 19 foot scissor lift because we've got to go 20 feet up in the air uh, to deal with some lights and some electrical stuff. And, and so the man on the other end of the phone uh, said, well, I might be able to make that happen. And I said, what's it going to take to turn that might into a, or a maybe into a certainty? And he said, well, let me check and see what I've got. And so he took a few minutes and he looked around and he said, well, it looks like I'm already four short scissor lifts for that Saturday. So I'm thinking I'm probably not going to be able uh, to make that happen after all. Um, and I said, well, what other do you, would you happen to have? And I found out we could get a 26-foot lift for only $100 more. So because of the pandemic-related issues, we paid an extra $100 for renting our equipment this weekend. You know, before the pandemic-related interruptions, most of us didn't have a clue 
about how logistics companies and supply chains affected our day-to-day -day lives. We never thought about it. You know, it just, we went to the store, things were there. We went to buy a new car, they had cars. I heard about a guy that had ordered a car, a uh, 2022 model back in 2021, and the dealership contacted him recently and said, we're not going to be able to fulfill that order. And he, he said, they said, well, would you be okay with a 2023 model? He said, of course I would at the 2022 price. <laughs> you know? But we brought this on ourselves because now we, we have come to expect deliveries in two days or less, right? We order something, it needs to be here two days or less. And we get upset when that doesn't happen. And unfortunately, when people get upset, they usually take it out on the one person that is working the hardest to try to make it happen, and that is the courier, the delivery guy. Um, what a thankless job it has become to be a delivery driver or a postal worker. So many people take out their frustrations on them. I, they had anything to do with making that happen. Now, you can go online and read a lot of stories about some really incompetent delivery drivers. Uh, and, you know, they are out there. Uh, we had a delivery this last week of some paper, you know, something that you'd want to, to protect uh, that they left at our door in the only door that had no covering at all. Fortunately, it didn't rain and the paper wasn't ruined. But, you know, sometimes there are incompetent people that are working, but the fact is it's, an, it's a thankless job. Um, and a job that, you know, uh, we have come to expect to happen. Uh, and that's not the way it always was. There's a, a movie, it's a 1962 movie musical called The Music Man. Uh, and in that Music Man movie, there's a song in it that's called The Wells Fargo Wagon. And, and when I think about a courier or a delivery guy, this is what I think about. You know, you, you've got this group of people in uh, Iowa who is, are all waiting for this delivery to come. And all of a sudden, the word gets out, the Wells Fargo wagon is on its way. And of course, as all great musicals do, and the reason so many of you hate them, they break out into song and they start singing, oh, the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming down the street. Oh, please let it be for me. Oh, the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming down the street. I wish, I wish I knew what it could be. And then you have different people in, in the city as they're running toward meeting the courier uh, that says, well, I got a box of maple sugar on my birthday. In March, I got a gray Mackinac. Does anyone know what a Mackinac is? I had to look it up. Of course you knew that, Miriam. Um, it's a jacket, by the way. It's a, yeah, you probably have one, actually. And then the next person says, and once I got some grapefruit from Tampa. And then this guy runs out of his house, grabs his kid off the front porch, and he says, Montgomery Ward sent me a bathtub and a cross-cut saw. 
Is there anyone under the age of 20 that even knows what Montgomery Ward is? I remember when we had Montgomery Ward, but it's been gone a long, long, long time. Well, the song goes on with different people telling about what they had received at different times from a Wells Fargo courier. And at the end of the song, you see an eight-year-old Ron Howard sing uh, with, a, with a lisp. And he says, but it could be something special just for me. The anticipation of the townspeople in this scene is palpable. They're so excited about what, they, what might be coming that they just can't contain themselves. They were looking forward to the courier. Well, in our message this morning, we're going to explore the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians. And if you want to be turning there, I invite you to do so. Or again, as David mentioned earlier, you can be looking in the Bible app if you want to go to our, our uh, interactive notes on the Bible app. You can scan the QR code inside the worship bulletin and it will take you there. But in this fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul encourages believers to be the couriers of God's promises to everyone who will receive this message of grace he wants us to carry the gospel to each and every individual that we know in the first section of this passage he shows himself and his companions as an example how to do this work of the ministry and then in the second section he encourages us to keep on working for the Lord, even in the middle of difficult circumstances. He says, don't give up in verse 1. And then again in verse 16, which we're going to study next week, he says once again, don't give up. And so let's read this passage. We're going to read verses 1 through 15 today. Let's read this beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, therefore... Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, 
so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in, in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Well, this morning as we uh, look through this passage of Scripture, uh, we're actually only going to be looking at three different uh, things today. And for some reason, my sermons always seem to have four points. I don't know if I would get excited about the possibility of it being shorter because it's only three points, but uh, we will see. Uh, but the first thing that I want us to note uh, here in these first few verses is the unadulterated message of the gospel. The unadulterated message. You see, the message was unadulterated, meaning that it was pure. It was not mixed or diluted with different or extra elements. They were proclaiming the unadulterated, the absolute pure and simple message of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and to purchase a place in heaven for us. That is the pure, unadulterated message of the gospel. And we see here in verse 2 that the message of the gospel was presented in an honorable way. You see, it, it says that, that we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We do not practice cunning. We don't tamper with God's word. Sharing the truth of the gospel should never be manipulative. When we share the truth of the gospel, we need to let the gospel speak for itself. We don't need to do undue, you know, have undue pressure or use manipulative uh, means to try to convince someone of doing something that they may or may not want to do. You see, a person must come to Jesus of his or her own free will. If we try to manipulate them or pressure them or, or scare them into trusting in Christ, their profession of faith may not be a true profession of faith. If we use tax, tactics that are underhanded and calculating to get someone to trust in Jesus, then there's a good chance that their profession of faith will not be genuine. So rather, the truth of the gospel is proclaimed openly so that all may understand. And if this is true, how then does the gospel become hidden and ineffectual for some as it does here in verse 3 and 4? It says, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, to those who do not trust in Christ, who, to those who are lost and dying in their sins. Why, if we are sharing the, the pure, unadulterated gospel message, 
why is it being hidden to some? Well, verse 4 explains this to us. It says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Now, when it talks about the God of this world, that's referring to Satan, the devil, the principalities and powers that rule in this world are controlled by Satan. He is the prince of darkness. God has given him domain over this world. And so the scripture tells us that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded people to the truth. So how does he do this? What schemes does Satan use to blind people from the gospel? Well, there are several that he uses. I think first, Satan steals away the truth that we hear when, when the gospel is preached to us. Satan steals away the truth we hear by convincing us that the truth is a lie. You see that all over uh, our culture today. Truth is proclaimed and they make a pronouncement that, oh no, that's a lie. That's a lie. He also mixes truth with lies. Takes a portion of truth and, and, and you know, puts enough lie in there that it no longer is the truth. Here's an example of that and that is salvation. By works. So many people think that in order for them to experience salvation from God and have assurance of heaven uh, when they die, so many people think that they must live a certain way, that they must earn that salvation. And if they don't live in that way, then they will lose that salvation. But folks, if there's nothing you do to earn it or deserve it, there's nothing you can do to lose it. It is a gift of God. He convinces people that salvation is by works. But what the scripture tells us in Ephesians 2 is that we have been saved by grace through faith. And that is not a, something that we've done ourselves. It is a gift. But then the next verse goes on and it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Salvation is not by works. Salvation is unto good works. That is the result of our salvation are the good things that God wants us to do. Satan mixes just enough of a lie into that truth to make people try to work for their salvation. And folks, there is no one who can live up to the standard that God set. No one is able to fulfill the old covenant. That's why he gave us the new covenant. The message of the gospel, the free gift of eternal life. So Satan convinces us that truth is a lie. He mixes truth with lies. Third, he chokes out the truth by distracting us with the cares of this world. So many people don't have time to think about spiritual things because they're too busy thinking about what the scores were from yesterday. Mm, that was uncalled for, wasn't it? 
Now, I didn't get to watch any football yesterday. That's why I can say that today. Otherwise, I might not use that illustration. They're too busy worried about temporal things. They're too busy worrying about paying their bills. Or too busy worrying about how can I make more money. Or too busy, you fill in the blank. Can we say, you know... <laughs> Uh, children's uh, athletics. I mean, used to, uh, you know, we would, we would play one sport for a few weeks and then a different sport a couple months later and, and it would spread out and you could do all kinds of things. Not anymore. If you're playing a sport as a, as a child or as a teenager, it is almost a 40-hour-a-week job these days. We're too busy and the cares of this world are choking out the truth of God's word because there's just no room for it. If you look at Matthew chapter 13, you will note that these, these schemes that we're talking about are illustrated in a parable that Jesus shared. Um, many people refer to this as the parable of the sower uh, I think it's uh, better named as the parable of the soils. Because it's not about the one that's sowing the seed in this parable, but it's about which kind of soil the seed falls on. And in verses 1 through 8 of Matthew 13, we see uh, this parable laid out. But fortunately for us, in 18 through 23, Jesus explains what the parable means. And so there are four different soils that are, are, you know, sown with seed here. One was a pathway, one was a, an area with rocks, one was an area with thorns, and one, one of the soils was good soil uh, that was, had been cultivated to receive the seed. And in verse 19 of Matthew 13, Jesus said that the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown. In other words, the... The seed that was sown on the pathway, he said, birds came. Well, he's saying that's the evil one. That is Satan. Satan comes and he steals away the truth that has been sown. Verses 20 and 21, he goes on and says, The one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. You see, he has received the truth of God, but... There's no foundation. What is the foundation of our salvation? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the foundation. And if Satan can convince us that we've got to work for that salvation, then he's, he's given us no foundation for that salvation. And so... Our faith spurts up, but with no foundation, it dies away. Is that real faith? No. The third soil here is the, the soil that is uh, overtaken with thorns. In verse 22 of Matthew 13, Jesus said, The one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Jesus told us. What schemes Satan would use against us 
to use against the people of the world to take away the truth of the gospel. He convinces us that truth is a lie. He mixes truth with lies. He distracts us with the cares of the world. But you know, there's one more here. Billy Graham once wrote this. He said, the devil has many tricks up his sleeve, so to speak. But surely one of his most successful is to make us believe he doesn't exist. He goes on and says, we may admit that evil is real, but then deny that behind it are demonic spiritual forces bent on our destruction and death. Or we may deny the devil's true nature by turning him into a harmless cartoon character with a red suit and a pitchfork. Satan has convinced us that he is not a threat. And as a result, as we find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it tells us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Notice what it says in verse 5 and 6 moving forward. It says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel message, folks, the gospel message that David was talking to us about just a little while ago, the gospel is a very simple message. The message is Jesus. And that's what they preached was Jesus Christ, the light of the world that has come to take away the sins of all mankind. The gospel is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the pure, the simple message of the gospel. A message that is so simple that it requires the faith of a child to be able to understand it. Too many times we try to complicate the message of salvation. We try to, to make it something more than just grace by faith in Jesus Christ. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, have a responsibility to carry this message, the simple message of Jesus to our world. We are couriers of the gospel. But before we get the big head about being the courier of the gospel, let's notice this next session, section of scripture and what he says about the kind of couriers we are. Verse 7, it says, we have this treasure. What treasure is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the gospel. We have the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure, he says, in jars of clay. The Bible Knowledge Commentary explains why this is important. It says this, The message of salvation and the results it produces are glorious and divine. 
By contrast, the bearer of the message is a mere mortal person. The contrast is like a great treasure contained in a common jar of clay. And then it goes on and says, A deepening sense of Paul's own unworthiness is compared then to the grandeur of his message. This is what characterized Paul's life. It was all about Jesus, not anything about him. He had this treasure in an earthen vessel. Why would, why would God choose to liken us to an ordinary or an earthen vessel? Well, the last part of verse 7 explains this. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, if the gospel was being delivered by mere mortals, no one would question its source and surpassing power because it had to come from God and God alone, not from us. So why would God choose to use us? Well, the next few verses continue to, to describe the frailty of humanity. It starts by saying we're jars of clay. And I don't know if you've ever tried to move a, a clay pot. Um, I hate clay pots because you set it down just slightly wrong and the whole thing cracks, right? Falls apart. Um, praise God for plastic pots to put plants in. Or better yet, um, I, I kind of agree with Brother Steve. Uh, you know, he put concrete under his tree so it would be easier to blow the leaves off. Right, Brother Steve? Uh, you know, that, that might be a better thing. But clay pots are fragile, y'all. They're fragile. So in these next few verses, he goes on to describe the, the frailty of humanity in comparison to the surpassing power of God that enables us to accomplish his will. So he goes on and he says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul actually referred to himself as a man that was sentenced unto death and then he said, a spectacle to the world. If you look in the New International Version of the Bible, it actually transla translates this verse as one who was condemned to die in the arena. He was, he was just a toy for wild animals. It's basically what he was saying. He had no power. He was condemned to die. He, so when we read verses 8 and 9 here, we need to understand that it is only through the enabling power of God that we are not crushed. It says we're afflicted, but we're not crushed. Why? Because the enabling power of God is sustaining us and enabling us. We are afflicted, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. 
It is only by the enabling power of God that we're not driven to despair, that we are not forsaken, that we are not in danger of being destroyed. Why? Because of the power of God. Verse 11 here in chapter 4 says that Paul was always facing life-threatening situations. Over and over. We're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, he said. He explains that the reason for this was so that they would be able to demonstrate the life and the love of Jesus to, those, uh, to others during those difficult times. We're always being given over to death so that the life of Jesus may be manifested, he said, in us. In a, his previous letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Verses 26 through 29, Paul points out that God usually chooses to use the weak and the foolish people in the world to serve him. And by the way, just a side note, I'm sharing several different passages of scripture here. And if you're trying to write those down and you miss some, they're in the version notes. I, I put them in there for you. But he says that God chooses to use the foolish and the weak to serve him. Later on in this book, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 5 through 10, Paul expounds on this idea even more when he talks about the thorn in the flesh that was given to him by God. He asked God to remove this thorn that weakened him. He asked him not once, not twice, but three different times. He asked God, please remove this thorn from me. And God answered him by saying something that he did not want to hear. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul then said, Therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content, he said. I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, folks, you may be sitting here this morning and you think about serving God in some way. And, and frankly, you may have in your mind that you have nothing to offer to God. Can I tell you today that is exactly what God wants from you? Absolutely nothing. He does not want your power. He does not want your talents. He wants you to submit to him and allow him to work through you. He wants your weaknesses. As I've said before, unless a vessel is broken with visible cracks, the light inside the the vessel cannot shine out for all to see. That's why we have this treasure in jars of clay because God likes it when we are cracked 
when we are broken. Because it's in those moments and those opportunities that he is seen. Please, folks, do not inhibit the work of the Holy Spirit in your life because you believe yourself to be unworthy. We are all unworthy. We are unworthy messengers of the gospel. But praise the Lord, he's chosen to use us, the foolish things of the world, to be the couriers of his promises to, to the people of the world. As we skip ahead to verse 13, let's look at the last thing this morning. And that last point is the unrestricted promise of the gospel. The unrestricted promise of the gospel. Well, first of all, what is the promise of the gospel? Well, the promise of the gospel is the promise of grace being extended to us. God says, I will extend grace. I will give you something you do not deserve rather than giving you what you deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve death for the wages of sin. The penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God, the grace of God is eternal life. And that's what it tells us here in verse 15. He says, for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends, he wants to extend his grace to us, even though we deserve to be punished for our sins. And because of that grace, we have the promise of being brought into the presence of God someday. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We have the promise of being with God for eternity. That's the promise of the gospel. And all of this is possible because we have believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior, which is what it tells us in verse 13. He said, I believed. We also believe. We believe in Jesus Christ. And so we have the same spirit of faith. We're trusting in that grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We believe. But the point here is not just the promise of the gospel, but the unrestricted promise of the gospel. Why am I saying that the gospel is unrestricted? I love this part of verse, uh, verse 15. It makes it very, very clear. It says that grace will be extended to more and more people. There is no restriction. There is no limit to God's grace. He offers it to everyone and it will be extended to more and more people. You know, Peter explained it this way in 2 Peter 3, 9. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that you should perish, but that all should, uh, but that all should reach repentance. He wants everyone to trust in his son Jesus so that they can receive that grace 
that the gospel provides. A few minutes ago, as uh, Pastor David was reading scripture during the worship, he read from Romans chapter 10, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, where it says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And what does it say in verse 13? For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That grace is extended to more and more people. And as that grace is extended to more and more people, those people will demonstrate hearts of thankfulness for their salvation to the glory of God. That's what it says here in verse 15. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Psalm 95 tells us, So come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. When people trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, there is an attitude of gratitude that wells up inside of them that they are so thankful for the gift of God. Folks, God promises us in his word that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But do you know what comes right after that? If you were listening a few minutes ago, Brother David read it to you. But do you know what comes right after that? He said, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not he never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Brothers and sisters, you and I have been entrusted with this ministry. We've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation to God. The ministry of sharing the gospel with others. You and I have a responsibility to carry the gospel to a lost and dying world. You and I are couriers of God's promises to the world. And so, as it said in verse 1, having this ministry, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Gone are the days when the courier of the gospel is readily received. More likely than not, we are going to be uh, treated much like the couriers uh, from Amazon and FedEx and UPS today. But it's our responsibility. We have a responsibility. And so we won't give up. We will not lose heart. That's why it says it in verse 1. And again, it says it in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Paul knew that it would be easy to give up. 
but we have this responsibility. So this morning, I want to ask you this. Who do you know that needs you to deliver the truth of God's promises to them today? Who do you know that needs to hear this simple, unadulterated message of the gospel, which is Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to pay the penalty for your sins by dying on a cross. And he offers you a relationship with God. He offers to put his Holy Spirit inside you to help you live the way that you are supposed to live. It's a simple, simple message. Who do you know that needs to hear that message? This week, if you're a part of one of our community groups, you're going to have an opportunity to help fine-tune that gospel message. How can you share your faith with someone else? I want to encourage you, if you don't have a community group, find one. If you do have a community group, be sure and do what your community group leader challenges you to do. And that is to prepare yourself to carry that gospel message to the people in your world today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to, to share this message this morning. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, and I thank you that uh, you help us to understand. And so, Father, now as, as we uh, go into this time of reflection, I just pray, Father, that you would put in the hearts and minds of each individual here somebody who needs to hear this pure, simple message of the gospel. Lord, help us to take our responsibility seriously. Lord, help me take my responsibility seriously. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.